Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you. Uh, Nathan, where did you sneak off to? Uh, thank you, Nathan, for serving here and leading God's people in worship, and we appreciate that. And it's, um, yeah, you can applaud. Thank you also to Pastor Joel and the elders here who invited me to come and spend these weeks with you. I consider it a great honor, a sacred honor, to be able to come and share with you from the Word of God. And I trust that as we spend time together, we will not only fellowship together, we will laugh together. I hope you laugh with me or at me, one of the two. Is this start, not starting off well? I can see already. Uh, and so we can laugh together and we can reflect together on the significance of God's Word for us today. And so I look forward to these weeks. Uh, just a word, because it came up earlier, uh, my wife and family are not able to be with me today or next week, but hopefully sometime in the near future they will be here as well. They are way better than me, and uh, you'll like them much more than you like me, if you like me at all. So, um, but this is a crazy summer for us. We have, we have four children, my wife and I do. Three of them have already graduated either from college or high school this spring, and then we have a wedding later in the summer. And uh, so I'm a little frazzled. So if I forget where I'm at or something like that, you know, forgive me if you would. Let's pray together and then we'll look into the scriptures together. Father, it is uh, true indeed that there is no other name like the name of Jesus. No other name. And so we want Jesus to be lifted on high and exalted among His people this morning. We want our eyes to be riveted to Jesus. We want focus upon Him. So would you do that today? And Jesus, as you are exalted, would you bring all people to yourself? Would you then heal and restore and renew and bless and encourage your people this morning? from our time gathered around this book, the Scriptures. May the Bible be open now in front of us. May our ears be open to your word. Would you speak loudly to us today just the word that we need? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, the forecast for today is that it's supposed to be in the mid-90s. So how do you choose to stay cool on a day like today. Well, many years ago, the forecast was similar. It was going to be in the high 90s or mid-90s. And I said to my wife, we've got to keep our children cool. I want to go to the local Walmart, and I want to get what was a great adventure for me when I was young. I wanted to get a slip and slide. Do you know what a slip and slide is? Oh, man, we got the slip and slide home. It was the perfect day for a slip and slide. You know that rubber mat with a hose that allows you to skid you know, forward at a high velocity? And so I got the slip and slide home. I opened the box. I went outside. I set it up. And on our, our house at the time had a hill. And I thought, no better way to use a slip and slide than going down a hill, right? So I set the slip and slide to go quickly down the hill. Imagine the scene. It was a beautiful day. The, the sky was blue, a few high fluffy white clouds. There in our backyard was this weeping willow tree that was 
uh, decorating the, the pond that was behind there, just around our, our fence, and, and it was awesome. And I laid out that slip and slide, and there went my children, down the slip and slide. And they were going down, and my wife and I, sophisticated professionals that we are, we stood on the deck watching our children slip and slide down the hill right in front of us. And then the kids started in on me. Dad, would you please come and do the slip and slide with us? I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And they said, come on, Dad, would you please? And I just refused to be a fuddy-duddy dad. So I turned to my wife and I said, okay. I said, don't say anything to them, but I'm going to go get ready for the slip and slide. So I went inside. The kids are still outside doing their thing. And I had my wife sneak kind of around our deck and opened up the, the gate to our fence in the front yard. Kids didn't know what was happening. I got my swimsuit on, and I come out of the front door, blazing speed, round the front yard, through the gate, and I went as fast as I could and hit the slip and slide face first like a baseball player heading into third base. Now, when I did that, I, you know, I had my glasses on because I couldn't hardly see. I was afraid I was going to miss the slip and slide. So I hit the slip and slide, and now I'm going down the hill full speed. And about halfway down the slip and slide, everything slowed down in my mind. And I kind of remember when I opened the box, it said weight limit. <laughs> now, I don't know if you can tell from where you're at. But I do weigh more than the weight limit on the box of 125 pounds. Not by much, but, but enough, I assure you. At the bottom of the slip and slide was this blue inflatable plastic or rubber, you know, that was to stop people. There's no way. I hit that rubber, inflatable at the end, and went poof, up over the rubber. And now I reach back, as I'm skidding off of the slip and slide, I reach back and grab that rubber inflatable, rip that sucker right off. <laughs> and now, if you can imagine, I am heading downhill with the inflatable. My hands are behind me. I am going face-first, torpedoing down the hill. Now, when I... Did I mention the weeping willow tree? <laughs> I, I did? Okay. Because the roots of the weeping willow tree broke through the ground and through my skin <laughs> and began to scratch at my chest and just rip skin apart. And now I'm bumping down the hill as this the roots of the tree are getting me. Did I mention the fence? Did I mention it? Oh, I did. Okay. Because I thought there would be no greater way to stop this escapade than to just go ahead and go face first into the fence. So I hit the fence. Did I mention my glasses? Oh, I did. Okay. Because what I did is I thought, I'll just hit it face first with glasses on. And I stopped. Poof. Glasses went tilted. Poof. 
and I had now face marks across my face, fence marks across my face, and I look up at my kids, and they're like, Dad, that was awesome! You've got to do that again! Which I did. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was great. I think of that story sometimes when I read the news today. If you have opened a newspaper or opened your web browser and you start to peek at the news, you discover things that feel a bit like hitting your offense with your face. I mean, I thought that when I became a Christian, life would be an endless slip and slide, not a series of fences. And what's interesting to me is it feels like in our world today, the yard is getting smaller. There are more and more fences, and I keep bumping into them over and over again. You read the news about the mass shootings, 104 mass shootings so far in the United States this year alone. 24 mass shootings in public schools. Another one again just this week. You read about the displaced people, the Syrian refugees, and where they're going and their existence, and you watch the images and you see that in horror, and you think, oh, how do people survive like that? Or you study about sex trafficking and even this, the uh, events that were taking place at the Super Bowl in our backyard. You can't believe that that stuff happens in our world. And it feels like I am consistently hitting a fence. It's a little bit disorienting when you hit a fence hard. You kind of look up and you're confused about where you're at and what are you supposed to do and where's my identity in this? It's confusing in our world. And to be a Christian is one who stands up for justice and righteousness and the freedom that is found in us through Christ. And you say, where is that? Why can't I find that in our world? Sin seems to be ravaging our space the impact is everywhere, and it's not just out there. It's not as if fences occur out there. The bruising happens sometimes in here as well, as relationships sour, as our health decays. And we live in a day in which fences seem ubiquitous. Rod Dreher, in his book, The Benedict Option, says that we are most certainly living in a post-Christian nation. The world has changed, or at least a world has changed. And we live at a time in which there is no compelling, unifying narrative. So what are Christians to do? Well, what I observe is that some Christians go to social media and rant, complain and protest. And I'm wondering in the midst of it all, while we need to be engaged in every effort we can to restore righteousness and justice, 
there is for me a lingering Bible passage that I return to in this. And I want to share this with you today, and then we'll spend the next few weeks unpacking some of the practical pieces of it. But this passage has defined my response to front page news in the last few years. It is a passage that steadies me, it instills hope in a climate of controversy and conflict. To get to the passage, I want to introduce you to the author and the city. First, the author. The author is the Apostle Paul. He's coming to the end of his life. The time, the date is probably 62 to 64 AD. He's traveled most of the known world preaching the gospel. And along the way, he gets arrested for a disturbance that he seems to have caused, and he appeals to Caesar. He says, I want to go to Rome to stand trial. And so, as a result of that, the Apostle Paul takes the jail world tour all the way to Rome. While he's in Rome, he's chained to a Roman soldier and is on house arrest. And as a person on house arrest, his only lifeline to the outside world becomes his pen. And he writes a letter, a very intimate, personal letter, to the followers of Jesus in the city of Philippi. Philippians is the name of the letter if you're looking it up in your Bible. The city of Philippi was a very significant city in Macedonia at the time of the Apostle Paul. Due to its location at the northern side of the peninsula of Greece, it became a crossroad for travel. and So many people would pass through the city. Its influence spread to the region, in fact, and it was recognized as a strategic city, according to the Romans. And in this little letter that Paul writes, four chapters, in chapter 3, I want to pick up a couple of verses before we land on our main passage. Paul says to the Philippians these words, For as I have often told you, this is chapter 3, verse 18, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things. Paul says there are, there are these people outside of the family of God who live for different values than those proposed by Christ. Their God is their stomach. They seem to live for immediate pleasure. Their longings are riveted to the earth the things that bring them success are material things. Their joy is consumed by things that they see. Nothing seems transcendent. They are captivated by the visible. Their mind is on earthly things. I'd love to stand before you today and tell you that that is never my experience. But yesterday, as I was reviewing my notes for this morning, I remembered being yesterday afternoon at a graduation party as my son graduated from high school Friday night, and so we've got graduation parties yesterday and today. I'm sitting in this 
house of one of my, friend, my son's friends and sat there coveting. Can I say that on day one? Can I, can I do that? No, I, I, no I'm serious. It saddens me, but it is real. I sat in his garage and I thought, my goodness, he just bought this house. He's put a, a new uh, maintenance-free deck on the back. He put a hot tub on the back. He's got a fireplace built into his deck. He's got two jet skis and all the other things that go along with jet skis. New paved driveway with a professionally installed basketball uh, uh, rim. He's got this tool cabinet that sits about you know 10 feet long and He's not even that mechanical because I know him, so I don't know what's in there. I mean, you know, really? <laughs> and it's easy to kind of sit there at the graduation party and think, wow, I wish, wish I had half of the stuff this guy seems to have. And it's easy to sit there and think that, but then by God's providence you have to preach today, you know? <laughs> like, oh, my, my mind is on earthly things. Now let's look at verse 20. In that context of fences, of uh, material debris, of conflict in our world, mass shootings, people who define success by material things, in that setting, you and I exist. And here's what Paul says about us. Verse 20, but, contrast, right? In contrast to that, but our citizenship is in heaven. When Paul lays out this sentence, he must have stopped or paused before he wrote the word citizenship. The Greek word for citizenship is the word from which we get our English word politics or metropolitan or policy. It was a bold and audacious statement to make to the Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. Well, why was it so audacious in Paul's day to use the word citizenship in that sentence? Well, here's why. The capital city of Rome had decided that they wanted loyalty from all the citizens within the empire. But they didn't have the internet. They didn't have the news outlets that we have access to to tell us how great Rome is. They didn't have photographs that they could send to all the citizens and say, look how beautiful it is in the capital city. So in order to communicate and propagate loyalty to Rome, here was their strategy. They would make and delegate cities throughout the empire to be many Romes, little Rome cities, colonies of Rome. And here's what they would do. They would take retired military personnel from their own empire, from Rome. These are people, of course, that would be people of great loyalty and allegiance. They would understand the customs and the language and the law. And they would take those retired military personnel and they would transplant them into these colonies where these 
Roman military personnel could be visible citizens of Rome to the surrounding region. How would people in certain regions know what it means to be a loyal Roman citizen? Well, they would see these military personnel in those Roman colonies and say, ah, that's what it's like. Now I know. These military personnel were to be ambassadors for Rome in the Roman Empire scattered throughout these cities. And guess what? Philippi is one of those cities. Which means to be a Roman citizen in Philippi was of the highest order. That's why. When we read Acts chapter 16, and Paul and Silas are imprisoned for preaching the gospel and beaten and so forth, and then the chains fall away as Paul and Silas are singing in prison, and the Roman jailer comes to faith in Christ, and there's a whole uproar, and when Paul says, is this how you treat Roman citizens? And it says that the people in the city were, quote, alarmed. Well, of course they were. Because in Philippi, to be a citizen of Rome was on the highest order of privileges. Now, now that you know the background, go back to our verse. Do you see how bold and audacious Paul's words are? It's a confronting word. But our citizenship is is in heaven. Christians, hear me clearly. You belong to another kingdom. And you live here as representatives of that kingdom. How Will the people in Elk River know what our king is like? How will they know what loyalty means to Jesus? How will they know what it means to be a follower of Jesus apart from the fact that God has strategically left you here as citizens of heaven to be ambassadors to the region? You belong to another kingdom. You live as representatives of that kingdom. What a thunderous word to drop in this letter to the Philippians. So what does that mean? It means the world owes you nothing. Do not expect paradise on earth. This is not your real home. Let me say it in my vernacular. Expect fences. Now, unless you think that Paul might have been a little off on this, it's not unusual language in the, book, in the Scriptures. There's a rich complement of words to describe the Christian's place in the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we are strangers in the world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, we are aliens in the world. Hebrews chapter 11, 13 through 16, talks about our temporary stay on earth and that we... The, the previous generations longed for a better country. And the author says that we were foreigners and strangers on earth. Foreigners and strangers. 
Don't get attached to the world. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that we are to set our hearts or our affections on the things above. And the next verse he says, set your mind on the things above. Because we live on foreign soil. And the pull of our earthly existence on our heavenly citizenship is real. This is not to be dismissed as mere semantics. This is not merely a metaphor. We are citizens of another country, loyal to another king, living by different values, waiting for our righteousness, groaning for our heavenly dwelling. And all of this pull of earthly existence on our heavenly citizenship is disorienting. It's confusing. It causes us to maybe lose our identity. Sociologists tell us that there are three great social fears. By the way, I'm experiencing all of them as we speak. Number one, to speak in public. Check. Number two, to socialize with strangers. And number three, to ask questions in public. To socialize with strangers. Christians, you are living in this world as citizens of another place, and you are called to socialize, if you will, with strangers. It's one of the worst feelings in the world, isn't it, to be in a crowd of strangers, people you don't know? A few years ago, I had the privilege of going with a team of college students at Crown College to London, England for a missions trip. I know, you know, some people have to go to dark and hard places. I got picked to go to London, England, suffer for Jesus there. It was all right. We had one evening, in the course of our week, we had one evening that was free. The rest of the time was booked. So on that one evening, we all got on the tube, that is their subway system, and we took the train, and we went to Buckingham Palace, and and we went to the Eye, and we went to Big Ben, and we just visited all these shops and just kind of ran around, saw the London Bridge. And at the end of that evening, we got on our last train ride back to our uh, hotel, and as we got on, I stood there, and I reached up to, to brace myself for the start of the train movement, and I realized in that split moment that I did not have my backpack. Now, because of where we were staying, we were told that we needed to keep all our valuables and uh, identification, everything should be in our, on our being the whole time. So, as, I want you to imagine this. I'm in London, England, on a train. I don't have a passport. I don't have an ID. I have no money. And the gentleman who was kind of coordinating our trip was standing really right in front of me. And I said, hey, Ben, I don't have my backpack. Everything I have is in my backpack. And blood and color rushed out of his face, and he immediately started calling people, and there was this little panic, and me and a couple other people jumped off and began to retrace our steps. And we found my backpack at a restaurant with all my stuff in it, and I'm okay, and I'm here, and it's all fine. But I want you to imagine standing there at that moment and thinking to yourself, what in the world am I going to do? Like, 
Where do do I go? Who do I talk to? How long am I going to be here? How's this going to spoil the rest of the mission trip? I mean, all of those thoughts just instantaneously kind of flood your mind. It is a very disorienting situation to be in a foreign land as a foreigner, right? Welcome to every Christ follower's situation. Because this world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. So do you feel the gravity of our earthly existence upon our heavenly citizenship? It feels like the world is begging us to play here. Get on the merry-go-round. Don't deny the urges. Live by those urges. Satisfy those urges. Come to the playground. And may I just say this in light of a very popular book? This is, let me get myself in trouble. It's first day. What, what are you? I want you to hear me clearly. This is not and will never be your best life now. You follow me? Because your citizenship, follower of Jesus, is in heaven. This is not your best life now. Let me see if I can say it differently, <laughs> since I'm getting myself in trouble. No, I'm not, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. If you are a follower of Christ, this world is as bad as it gets. If you are not a follower of Christ, this world is as good as it gets. That's a sobering thought. So what do we long for? What do we desire? How do we live in this disorienting world? I like how C.S. Lewis said it. Quote, if I find in myself a desire for which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, right? This is not our everlasting home. Now, how is our citizenship determined? Think with me on this quickly. How is citizenship determined? By birth. You don't earn it. Don't earn it. Citizenship is not about a place, it's about membership. It is about belonging. Where do I belong? Citizenship does not answer the question, where am I? It answers the more penetrating question, where do I belong? Answer, not here. We belong somewhere else. Now notice what happens as this passage now continues. Verse 21 But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's what we long for. We long for Jesus to come. You've been hearing a series of messages on the fourfold gospel of the Christian Missionary Alliance. One of those core pieces of of theology for the Christian Missionary Alliance is the coming King. We eagerly await our King. And notice what's going to happen in verse 21 when Jesus returns who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control 
All the chaos, all the brokenness, all of that will end when Jesus returns. And while the struggle of our existence is real, it is also fleeting. Fences are temporary. We will, in Christ, outlast every fence. And He's going to come and He's going to restore all things. He's going to renew all things. Well, all things? Well, it seems like it. He's going to bring everything under His control. And when He does that, notice the last phrase here, He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. He will renew everything And renewing everything includes our bodies. Paul refers to our bodies here as our lowly bodies. And if you are north of 40, you know about this phrase, lowly bodies. The chronic stiff knee. You know about how the joints predict the weather. Sometimes said, I read something, they'll say, be sure to read the fine print. I can't even see the fine print. There's fine print on there? And could someone please explain to me why hair grows in places it's not supposed to grow and goes away in places where it should be when you're north of 40? I can't figure that out yet. The list goes on and on. My wife said to me the other day, she said, when you go running, she said, it looks a little bit more like a shuffle. I said, it looks like a shuffle until I chase you. Then it'll look like a run. Let me, let me see if I can help us understand what this... This is quite an amazing statement that our lowly bodies will be like Jesus' glorious body. It would be like His glorious body. Here's what this means. It means that, I want you to imagine the splendor of heaven. The angels singing the glorious throne room of Christ. Put in there all of the gems of gold and jasper. All of that listed for us in the book of Revelation. And when you and I get there, We will not only belong, because we're citizens, but our bodies will fit our surroundings. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you're under 40, you're like, eh, whatever. (laughs) Your time is coming. (laughs) I, I mean... Can you wrap your mind around this truth? That when we get to heaven, our bodies will be transformed and they will belong in the surroundings and splendor of heaven. That is remarkable. So Paul deposits in the midst of the Philippians and their conflict, and we'll talk about that in the days ahead, but he deposits into this truth Christian, follower of Jesus, you are to be a colony of heaven on earth. You are to be the ambassadors to the world. People should know what 
heaven is like by looking at our lives. We are not citizens while we're in church and non-citizens at work parties. We are always citizens of heaven. Gateway Church, you are a colony, an alien invasion to Elk River. Intentionally, by God's strategy, in order that people may know what heaven is like. And someday our king will come from there. And he'll set order to our planet. But until then, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. We are ambassadors. But let us not be surprised by the chaos or the injustice or the violence that seems to be winning on this day. But rather, let us pray, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Let us keep this in perspective. An American traveler to Poland encounters a sage rabbi. He was invited to the rabbi's home. The American is surprised by the sparse living quarters of the rabbi. A cot, a table, a few books fill the space. Rabbi, where is your furniture? said the American traveler. The rabbi replies, where is yours? The American states, I'm only a visitor. I'm only passing through. The rabbi simply replied, so am I. Let's pray. In the coming weeks, we will talk about the practical implications of our heavenly citizenship, so hang on for that. But now, Lord, we, we come before you. What an amazing thing you have done through the work of Christ to transfer our citizenship from earth to heaven. And may we now be ambassadors. May we live out our heavenly citizenship. May we not live for it, but from it to our world. Let us go and serve the world with joy, knowing this is not our eternal home. May we be difference makers always, May we be people of encouragement and joy and peace, knowing that from heaven our King will come and He will restore all things and He will even transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious, splendid body. May we live in the hope of that. Lord, we need hope bearers in our world. Make this body of believers hope bearers to the world. And God, where there are places in our life where we're not living up to our citizenship, would you call us forward? Would you convict us so that our lives might align with our citizenship? And now, Lord, would you bless us with this day of rest? May our thoughts linger to heavenly things. May we abandon the, the earthly things that might distract our citizenship. And may our love for you be obvious. And this we pray in the glorious name of the Father 
and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you. It's been great to be with you. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Go in God's peace.